Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. And you'll see that our church is super dynamic. As you see, uh, many of the families have chosen not to come tonight, and they will be here Thursday night. But tonight, those of you that have come, God has good provision for us, and, uh, and it's, it's good, it's good. Um, yesterday, I was able to meet a family and was able to uh, give them a copy of the book of What is a Man, and uh, they're not really going to church, and they're not real um, versed in Christianity, but when I gave the book to the man, his wife grabbed it because of the title, and she just started and this morning she wrote me uh, two things she writes me the first email and she says make sure that you keep my husband's cell phone on your cell phone and she wrote me a second email and she says this book should be man and then put the dash d tory for all men um, and so that was pretty cool she says uh, she's gonna send it to her son uh, who's an adult and uh, and he works for the veteran hospital but we thank God for every day there's no reason for us to not to be sowing seeds how many how many um, can seriously say tonight that you have access to good seed do you have the good seed what's it? The, the good seed is the Word of God so the Bible says for us to constantly be sowing the seed and as a man sows he's going to reap so make it your Make it your daily regimen to have a good portion of the Word of God through a devotional maybe that you have in the morning that just, so you spend some time with the Lord. And then throughout the day, you have something to give other people. Um, let's go to what we read on uh, Sunday, Isaiah 50, verse 4. I want to... Um, this, this verse really touched my heart last week when we were preparing for Sunday morning. And um, there's a, there is a particular word in that uh, verse, Isaiah 50, verse 4. Um, it says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. That, that word there is what we said that go and make disciples. Um, a big part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is what comes out of your mouth and, and how it comes out. And, and so there, uh, Isaiah is confessing that, that the Lord is the source of teaching us how to have the tongue. And when you get to the word learned, uh, many translations have the word disciple there. Uh, one who is led by a mentor, so one who is taught. So God has given me, uh, other, other translations say, of the wise. The Lord has given me the tongue of the wise, the tongue of a disciple, the tongue of learned. That I should know how to speak. And it's really important, not what you speak, but how you speak to different people. If you're speaking to an older person, uh, to use uh, the, the proper uh, addressing um, to be able to deliver the message. It's not just to speak, but it's to deliver. A word in season to him who is weary. 
to him who is tired. Um, and then also it says, the Lord is able to awaken me morning by morning. I, I, for the last 30 years, a lot of people have asked me, well, pastor, how is it that you prepare these messages? How is it that you speak the word of God? And I would like to think up there, there's something called, what's that up there? A speaker. And what is the speaker doing? It's just, it's, 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 it's uh, amplifying my voice, but it's not thinking. It's just saying whatever is coming out of here. So I'm the speaker as God speaks morning by morning. You're the speaker as God speaks morning by morning. And, and you'll be speaking the words that God puts in your heart. And so that's why there's no repetition. In the last 17 years we've been here at the church, there was one Wednesday night that I was uh, doing Little League with the boys, and I didn't have time to prepare because I was coaching the boys, and I came over here, and I said, surely, if I go back five years and I grab my notes, nobody's going to notice. Guess what? Everybody noticed. <laughs> like, Pastor, you already preached that one. And you know what? We have a spoiled church because God is not giving us the same, the same, the same. He's speaking for... How many... It would be boring that God not have a fresh conversation, right? Uh, and he wants you to be that way too. He doesn't want it to be monotonous. But every day, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as a disciple. That's a, the, the key to being a disciple is more hearing and less talking. And so if you're, if you're receptive to that, and I usually tell people, people says, well, do you have the message for Sunday yet? Do you have the?" I said, look, my radars are up. I'm still asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want? How do you want? So this has been a fascinating year uh, since we started in January. We said that it would be a year to increase our faith, um, to deepen our faith. I, I don't want to have a relationship with God that when the storms come or problems come or difficulties arise to just uh, have me blown away. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, um, this is, we should no longer be tossed to and fro, carried, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, winds are blowing, and we're not to be like leaves. <sighs> Today I'm an atheist, tomorrow I'm a Marxist, I'm a socialist, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, I'm a Buddhist. That, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to be tossed to and fro, uh, carried about with the winds that are blowing by the trickery of men in the cunning, plotting, craftiness of deceitful plotting. Um, verse 15, we said that this is the climate, is this really confusing times. Uh, but we're to be speaking the truth in love, growing up in Jesus to him who is the head. Uh, at the end of our life, if we would have modeled Christ, we would have changed the world. And, and this is the, the greatest thing that has happened upon the earth has been Christ's visitation. Let me tell you something. Um, get ready for this. No schools and no hospitals if Jesus hadn't come. Because the mentality is only the, we're only going to teach the rich people. And he's the say, he said, no, let the children come unto me. Okay, so, so school and the education system. And then the, the, the hospitals, 
would only serve healthy people. If you were born with infirmity, they would kill you. There was no. And that's why he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says that somebody beat up a guy. He stayed in the middle of the street. And the religious people came by. The polit politicians came by. Uh, civ civil social system came by. And they all looked at the man. They crossed the street and they kept on going. But the Good Samaritan, he stayed there and put medicine on him. He cared for him, took him to an inn and paid so that he would get better. So that was Jesus teaching this whole medical hospital health care system. And like that, if you do the research on um, the impact of Christianity upon the earth is phenomenal. Wherever there is Christianity as the faith of the land, you see the mortality rate is higher. Uh, uh, with babies, are, they, don't, they don't die as fast in the hospitals. The older people live longer. Uh, there's less plague. There's less disease. There's less war. There's less strife. There's a, so all these systems, um, and obviously America, the greatest nation on the earth, um, decided to make their constitution based on the word of God. And their schools was all, actually, the school was, was a place where 20, 30, 40 kids were sitting in the classroom reading the Bible. This, is, this was the study. Um, all the great universities of America today were seminaries, were theological schools where they prepared pastors to be champions. Harvard, Yale, um, all, the, all the major, the, what are they called? The, uh, the Ivy League schools were all theological seminaries where the word of God was taught. And so that's what brought prosperity into the United States at a major scenario. We're the youngest nation in the world with respect to, um, we've only been around for less than 300 years. Uh, Europe has been around for 4,000, 5,000 years. Africa, 6,000 years. Um, America invented the car, the airplane, the light bulb, electricity. We're doing pretty good for being young. But you know why? Because of our fear of God. But now when we're putting away the word of God and we're putting away a relationship with Jesus Christ, now we're becoming just like all the other nations. Um, What's it called? Instead of uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise, poor, dumb, and uh, unhealthy and sick. So we don't want to go in that direction. And, and so that's where we're navigating now. Uh, we're seven months into, uh, this is probably like the longest we've gone in this regards. Um, every, every message has been intentional, deliberate, and, and, and tonight is not going to be any different. It's a really powerful night tonight. And um, I could say that as I was reading and preparing for tonight, I was super, super challenged with, uh, with, this, with this part of the scripture. So let's pray that God would speak to us tonight. Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your peace and your joy. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions as you dispense them from the heavens. You say that if we come together and dwell in unity, uh, you will send uh, blessing. You will command the blessing and you will pour out abundant life. We are so excited about what you have intended with each person that comes to Spring of Life, Lord. Uh, the expression of a champion, of someone that's going to do great things for the kingdom of God. 
because he will know his God, he will serve his God, he will uh, fulfill the calling upon his life. And we pray, Lord, that as the men stand strong, their wives uh, are refreshed and their children have great hope. Uh, prosper your word in our hearts tonight. Let us see things that are going to inspire us to be faithful to you. And bless this word wherever it is taught. And those people that are looking through live streaming, we bless them and we, uh, we ask you to prosper them in your purpose and that they be nourished in your word, O oh God, as a good seed that is planted in good hearts that give forth good fruit, O oh God. Let your word tonight be an inspiration for us to live differently and to aspire to greatness in your purpose. Make us like Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So we're in Genesis chapter 18. We're in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, last week we went ahead and, and covered the first portion of the chapter. But these chapters sometimes, I, I want to say this just for the benefit of, of our understanding. How many know that when the Bible was written, it wasn't written in chapter and verses? How many know that? Okay, these were most often historical records kept and they didn't have numbers. So history, man trying to organize things, they decided that they would put chapters and then they decided to put verses. And so now we say chapter 18, verse 15. Uh, but back in the old days, it wasn't like that. You, you had to know your Bible, and you, you know, it wasn't numbers. So today we have numbers, and it's made it a little bit easier, but also it's, it's made us a little bit lazy because we'll, we'll say that my favorite verse, and you should have a favorite Bible. The, all the Word of God is good, uh, and it's profitable. Um, we were reading uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, and the very last verse, it talks about why the Word of God is, is good. And there it is. Um, the four things that we get out of the Scriptures that make us wise for salvation. Um, let's go to verse uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. So that the man of, of God is perfect. All Scripture. So there's not... You guys, if, if you've been here a while, you know the Bible says don't even take a comma or a tittle out of the Bible because then you're, you're going to lose what God has for you. It says don't add to the Bible because you'll add to the plagues. You're not supposed to add things. Um, Thomas Jefferson did the Jefferson Bible. He cut, cut out only the verses he liked. President Jefferson. And so his Bible, he's, that's not good. That's not healthy. I don't know what was going on with him. Um, but the whole, all the scripture is given. By inspiration, not your mother, not your grandmother. It wasn't the person down the street. It's God. This, this, this is a holy book because God has brought it into our lives. And when you read this book and live it, you have peace, joy, and things go right. Anything that's out of order in our life is because we haven't followed the guidebook. It's good. Uh, profitable for doctrine to teach you the right things. That's what doctrine is. For reproof, to go, e you're, going, you're, going, you're going off track, so to correct. Um, to reproof is to call you when you go off track. To correct is to bring you back on course. And instructions in righteousness, the fourth thing, is to allow you to continue in the direction you're going. Sometimes 
I don't know if you feel this way, but here I, here's how I feel my spiritual life goes sometimes. Um, uh, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? Okay, here I am. Okay, here I go, Lord. I'm going. I'm on. Lord, Lord, I'm just going. Lord, what's going on? Continue. Don't, don't, don't say, wow, nothing has happened for a while. I guess, let me just go over here. Cause, and, and you wander off the path. No, continue the course because you're going to miss out a, a bunch of things that God has. And you don't know when they're coming, so you've got to stay the course. A lot of people, they're, they're in the course of their Christianity, and they're walking, and they're going, I've been doing the right thing, I, I, and nothing's happened. And they take a little detour. This is what I call with these detours, you know when you get off, but you don't know when the next entry is. And so I had a friend of mine, he says, I'm going to take the summer off. He was 20 years old. Guess when he came back? When he was 40. So he got off when he was 20. He said, Lord, I just want three months. I'm going to take off some time just to relax. I've been a Christian all my life. And now I'll be, he, he didn't come back to his 40 and, and with a big mess, a big mess. Um, and so we don't want to go through that, that pathway. Um, here we are studying Abraham's life. He's staying the course of phenomenal life. Let's go there to uh, Genesis 18. And we'll start in verse 15. Um, this, this portion of Abraham's life is, uh, we already said it last week. He was sitting in his tent. It was hot. And he, see three, he sees three men come. And Genesis 18, uh, 1 through 14 was him meeting these guys. Uh, there it ended on 15 where the guys, uh, the three men told them that he would have a child this time next year. So he got, a, he got assurance. He got an affirmation. He could hang on because what God said was going to happen. Now verse 16, there in verse 16, the men rose and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Uh, one of the powerful things there in verse 17 is that God will not withhold anything from us. He's, he's really keeping us with the inside of what's going on. And, and I thank God for that. Every Bible study that we attend, every gathering where the word of God is being spoken is God speaking. I'm not sure that, that uh, many people have this benefit. Um, a friend of mine, Reza Safa, he's a pastor, used to be a Muslim, and so they invited him to a challenge, and there was 3,000 people there, and he says like this, he says, I want all the Christians in here that have come today to raise your hand if God has spoken to you at some time in your life, if you've heard God tell you something, and all the Christians went, God speaks to us, he tells us things, and, and, and he shows us things. Okay, put your hand up. Okay. If you're a Muslim here tonight, and I want you to tell me how many times Allah has spoken to you, how many times uh, you've heard uh, the God of Islam, if you're a Muslim, raise your hand. And not one hand went up in the air. And so that, that is like, man, your God doesn't talk to you. Um, and so that was, that was really impressive. That's how he started the debate that night. But this thing is also powerful. Uh, I, had, I had some people tell me, man, God told me 50,000 times not to marry that guy, and I did anyways. I'm like, man, you're slow. Um, if God is telling you something, listen. God is going to tell you. He's going to show you. And God told me not to get into that business, and I shouldn't have ever. 
and, and we do. So God is always revealing what he's doing. He's not a mysterious. In fact, I want to say something. Uh, all the false religions in the world have secrets. They're like, a secret handshake, a secret password. The kingdom of light doesn't have darkness. There's nothing occult about it. If you ever get into anything in Christianity, look, God told me something, but he told me not to tell nobody. Listen, that was not God, okay? Because God will shout it from the rooftops. He wants us to raise up our voice and to be transparent and, and not keep secrets. The devil hides. I, when people are keeping secrets and they have like this hidden life and they go around and they're like suspicious and they're tricky and they're like, mm. I know the devil's up to something. I don't even have to ask. Uh, it's just a matter of time before uh, destruction comes. And, 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 but, but to be able, like when I got married, I tell people all the time I had 10 pastors there. 10 pastors. What for? Because I want them to look in every direction and to tell me if they see something God wants me to see. And if you're around men of God who are serious, they're going to be transparent too. And when a man of God tells me, I see what's going on, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, thank you. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go off a cliff here, and you're not going to tell me? At least tell me so when I'm on the way down, I could, I could remember, thank you. Um, but, but a transparent God, and this put into your spirit. Um, I love 1 John chapter 1, chapter, uh, 1 John 1, 7. <clears throat> this is it. Ready? If we walk in the light, as he walks in the light, then we're connected with one another. If we're transparent, then you can call me out. And it says the blood of Jesus washes us from our sins. See? If anything is wrong, you can point it out and correct it. But if you're keeping it in the dark, nobody sees it and nobody could correct it. And that is a curse for you. It's a curse that you would keep a secret um, and not be able to be open um, and, and share your life with, I remember, godly people that, that, that have an interest. Uh, not, not into the mocking effect. Let's go back to verse 17 in Genesis 18. We're going to progress here a little bit. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Verse 18. He says, no, I'm not going to hide it from Abraham. For I'm surely going to, Abraham is surely going to be a great and mighty nation. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We, we don't even have a clue. We don't have a clue what one man represents. And, and when, we, when we meet on Monday nights with 150 men, um, they don't see what God sees. Uh, God is not seeing one man. God is seeing a nation. Uh, and and you you're you're wondering, okay, um, how is it that there's a nation here, a great and mighty nation, and it'll be such a nation that. It will bless all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed in him. Uh, let's go to Isaiah 51, verse 2. We talked about this before. <clears throat> this is, look to Abraham, 
who was your father, talking about he walked before us, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him when he was alone, when he was only one man, and I blessed him and he increased. This is, this is uh, it's, it's amazing to see how men think nowadays. If you'd have to deal with a man, and almost all of us do, unless you move to a little island, it's a difficult thing to deal with man. The way he thinks, the way he talks, the way he reacts, the, the way he schedules himself. Um, and so we, we don't think that a man is able to walk in blessing and increase. He's, he grows greater influence and has be, uh, greater effect. Uh, there was a story of the man who was uh, stranded out in the ocean and uh, he swam to the closest island. And nobody came to get him for like 20 years. So they just forgot about him. So he had to live on the island. And when they found him, they saw uh, three little huts. And uh, they asked him, they said, did anybody else survive? He goes, no, I'm the only one. And he go, they go, why do you have three huts? He goes, well, one of them is my house. Okay, so what's the other one? Well, that's the church I go to. Oh, what, and then what happened? Well, I got mad and I left and I went to, and I started another church. So he had three huts there. And uh, even being alone, man will leave. And, and he'll, he'll fight with himself. So um, here, um, this one man is about to impact the earth. And I want to tell you that you're that man. I, I want you to understand that you're not on the earth just to, uh, you're just going with the flow. And uh, no, there, there's intentionality, there's purpose, there's provision. There's pur when you stand at a place, you, there, there's, because you represent the kingdom, you command respect. You respect, you know, uh, the time. Um, I told my children that when they were in high school, don't let the people know you as a class clown. Let them know that you are the reference of God. Um, and it'll be one person, it'll be one word, and one opportunity. And if you're not clear in who you are and what you're to do there, um, you're not fulfilling your call. Here in the life of Abraham, he's already served these men. He's, they've already affirmed that he's going to have a child. He's been trekking for a while with his wife. They tried to make up another baby there. And here it is when God says, I'm going to make of this man a great nation and he's going to be a blessing. Verse 19 says, because the reason is it's not just favorites that God is playing. This is a guy who takes me serious. Genesis 18, 19, for I've known him, and he will keep the order of my commandments to his children and his family as it grows up, that they will keep the way of the Lord. They will do the things that are right. They will, they will slice the pie where I slice it. Justice, taking care of family, taking care of finances, walking in faith, and the, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Um, and so as they continue the course, and he's, he's having this dialogue uh, of what is going to happen, verse 20, the Lord opens his heart, and that's what God will do with us. And, and I want to tell you something. I'm going to confess something tonight. Ready? At 16, when I got to know the Lord, it's because I didn't know who I was. So getting to know the Lord was a good thing. But I could care less about anybody outside of me. So when I write a book about the church restoring the gates, it wasn't because I liked the church 
or I want the church. When you get connected with God, he starts sharing his heart with you, and then you start caring about what he shares. So as he shared with me um, what the church is, I wrote a book about the church. It's called Restoring the Gates. If you want to know what God wants with respect to the local church upon the earth forever, it's in that book. I, 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 it was a burden I had. Now, there was a lady, and you guys could tell me her name. Ready? Um, Miss Goodall or Goodman. She, she got interested in chimpanzees in Africa. What's her name? Jane Goodall. She moved over there when she was 21, right out of high school, starting college. And she's lived the last 50 years with chimpanzees. She knows how to speak chimpanzee. She's like, when they go, that means that they're, when they go, and she, everything about chimpanzees, she knows. Listen, how many think that God, he likes chimpanzees, but he's more interested in lost man. I always say, whatever you pay more for, that's what you're more interested in. And he paid the life of his son, not to save the chimpanzee, but to save lost man. And so my second book, What is a Man?, is not because of what I'm interested in, because when I got to the Lord, I didn't know who I was. I got to know him. I saw about the church and how the church fixed my family and how it brought peace. So I, brought, I, I wrote a book on how to have a real church and not a circus. And then What is a Man? is not a church book. It's about those guys that are out there that God wants to call that he paid the price of his son to die on the cross so that they would have incredible lives and they don't even know it. They're out there cutting chickens' heads off. They're out there going to witch doctors and witches and babalaos and mamalaos and madrinas and all this stuff. They're out there doing stuff lost and their children are following in their footsteps. So I wrote a book, What is a Man? What is a Man is God's heart. Because when you, we're going to see it tonight, when you care about what God cares about. God cares about lost man. He cares about his wife, and he cares about his children. God is into family. And he even writes in the book, when a man doesn't treat his wife right, God won't listen to his prayers. You guys think that that's serious? Imagine you not taking the phone call of somebody who's calling you because he's mistreating his wife. And you say, listen, buddy, until you treat that wife right, I'm not taking your calls. And you're like, but you're not friends with my wife. I don't care. I'm, I'm protecting her. Let's read it. You guys are looking at me like if I'm crazy. 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, likewise, live with your wives in such a manner. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving them, say with me, honor. You're not to give them hell. You're not to give them your opinion. You're going to give them honor. As the weaker vessel, as heirs together with grace, that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't know about you, but hindrance in prayers is that you're not getting through. They're being stopped. The word hindered means they're being prevented from getting to their destination. So God is a God who's defending, who's standing up for uh, wives and, and for children uh, in a manner that he says like this about children. If you cause one of these little ones of mine to stumble, you better go kill yourself. Tie your 
neck to a limestone and throw yourself in the ocean. But don't be offending or tripping up one of my little ones. Um, so God is, is serious about these matters. And um, we're going to see here in, in verse, let's go back to Genesis 18, verse 20 now. Um, he says, the Lord shares his heart to Abraham and says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grave, that what they're doing down there is, is, is really getting my attention. And so <clears throat> when Abraham hears this, something happens in Abraham's heart which is super unusual. He says, I hear the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah and they, what's going on is so problematic, is so great that, and their sin is growing. Verse 21, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the report against the outcry that has come to me and if not, I will know. So God is paying a visit to this situation and he's sharing that reality with Abraham. If Abraham was like Jonah, like, woo, I'm going to sit there and see this city burn, baby, burn. Listen to me. That's how we're like. We want to think, oh, they did. Okay, well, let's just put it in a family context. How many used to enjoy watching your parents spank one of your brothers? Yeah, he got his date. Woo! Just let me, let me go get, wait, dad, let me get popcorn. Let me watch this. Go ahead, kill him. That mindset, here it is. He says, I'm going down there to check to see what's going on with Sodom. What happens next? Verse 22. Uh, then the men turned away from and went to Sodom but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Lord, this is it right here, verse 23. Very important. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Question. He stands in front of the Lord and says, Lord, you can't go and put judgment on these people. Stand back, Lord. Don't do what you're about to do. When he does this, speaking on behalf of someone else for their favor is called intercession. Where you come into the place and you say, wait, 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 Lord. Don't do what you're about to do. Because that's not your nature. You're a good God. You're not a God who judges. You're a God um, that wants to save that city. Here goes. Suppose there were 50 righteous men within the city. Would you also destroy that place, verse 24, um, and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? And look what he tells the Lord, verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, 
so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? How many have ever had a conversation on behalf of someone who's about to get annihilated by God and you say, God, he's bad, but please don't kill him. Lord, he's not doing what's right, but, but give him another opportunity. Extend your mercies towards them. I want to tell you that this is totally against human nature. Like I, I just told you guys that I, didn't, I don't have a preference for the church, but the Lord does. I don't have a preference for men, but the Lord does. So every time I move in this direction, I am participating with what is God's heart. I'm leaving my nature of sin. I'm not doing what I want. I, I would spend a lot better time probably focusing many hours, years, months of my life doing something else. But when you are walking a life of faith, it's no longer you who lives, it's God living through you. Amen. That's genuine faith. I'm, I'm not doing what I want. Listen to me, out of all my buddies, you could watch when I, I, was, I was not even a Christian yet, um, just barely getting to know the Lord. And they asked me in high school, what do you want to be? I want to be a lawyer. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have ranches with horses. I want to have condos on Miami Beach. I want to travel. I want to... Yeah, but what does the Lord want? There's a total different trajectory. As, and let me tell you something. What we're talking about tonight is we're getting to know a little bit more about the Lord because we all pray about ourselves and our family. We all pray about our goods, but we never intercede. This is like Jonah. When he finds out that the Lord is going to destroy Nineveh, he's like, you know, if you're going to let them off the leash, I'm not going. And that's why Jonah runs. He's not being an intercessor. He, he wants to send on a sideline, and he watched on the mountain how God would destroy that city. He wasn't saying, this man sits there and says, Lord, this is not your nature. This is not what you do. If there were 50 men, wouldn't you deliver? And the Lord says, yeah, if there was 50, I would. Well, there's not 50. How about if there's 40, Lord? How, how about if there's 30? And he's trying to continue to appease the wrath of God. I want you to use this word. Ready? Say the word intercession. Someone who stands as, as uh, they, have it, they have that program where one of the family members is really messed up. He's a drug addict or he's a hoarder and they have an intervention. This is similar. This is intercession where you go to prayer for the benefit of God's favor on someone other than you. And let me tell you something. I, I got to say this because if I don't say it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be honest. The power the blessing, the prosperity of spring of life is because of our intercessors. People who have who remove themselves from their, they don't wake up to pray about them. They don't wake up to pray about their finances or their family or their illnesses or their depression or their sadness. No, they wake up and they're like, Lord, forgive pastor. Please forgive him. Make the church a strong church. Make a church prosperous, Lord. Come on, fulfill your purpose, Lord. You, Lord, change the world like you said you would. And so these intercessors are the reason why we have so much blessing. Listen to me. Um, if you were to pick a multimillionaire or an intercessor, if you're wise, you'll want an intercessor in your life. You'll want someone who's 
standing before God, praying. For many of you husbands, that intercessor is your wife. Let's give a big hand to the wives. This was like the gentleman um, who, is, who is going to be slaughtered and assassinated by David and his 300 valiant men are going to just kill uh, Nabal. And Nabal was a foolish man. And then you have Abigail. Abigail, his wife, runs out and kneels down before David and says, Stop, please don't kill my husband. He's a stupid idiot, but, but have mercy on him. And, and David says, you know something? You're an intercessor. You stood before my wrath. I was going to knock his head off. Um, and so that is the power of intercession. And this is what we're talking about. And this is what we're talking about genuine faith. I, I want to tell you that if you don't ever come around to praying for someone else, you might not be a Christian. Because the spirit of the Lord that has been given to us is a spirit of intercession. It's a spirit of supplication. It's thinking about others and not yourself. We're going to see that. And so Abraham is not just worried about his son. He's not a selfish Christian. He's worried now about Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord has already said, look, those people are wicked. They're doing things that are wrong. And he's sitting there trying to strike a deal with the Lord. And, and I want to encourage you to be known to be an intercessor. When people have a whole bunch of rocks and they're walking in a direction to go kill somebody, I want you to be that person that stands up for mercy, for, for the sentiments of, of redemption, of reconciliation. Because our tendency is, what, what did the guy do? And, and we pick up rocks. Yeah, I, one time he did this to me. And you're, you're throwing your little rock into the scenario. It was similar to a guy, he was, it, was, it was late at night. And there's two guys across the street, and they're beating up a guy. And he's on this side of the street, and he's like, man, should I get involved or not get involved? Should I? No, maybe I shouldn't. You know, and he would get closer, but should I get involved? Or, and, and everybody watching to see if he would get involved. And finally he says, yeah, I'm going to get involved. He went over there, and he kicked the guy too, and then he just walked off again. He didn't intercede in the right way. He was part of the attack. Abraham is not. Abraham is saying, Lord, let's go, verse um, 25, far be it from you to do this thing. What if there was, verse 27, then Abraham said, indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. So suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous, would you destroy the city? A lot of people don't intercede because they don't think it matters. It's just like, if I say something on behalf, if I pray, it's, we're going to see this really powerful. I, I, want to, I want to uncover or reveal the fact that there's something in the heart of God when he sees an intercessor. Listen to me. When God from the heavens sees somebody on the earth speaking God's heart to him in regards to and in favor of something that's wrong, God is looking for that to stop what he's about to do that's negative. And so it's very unusual. He says, indeed, I am just dust and ashes. What difference could I make praying for my school? I'm just one person. What difference could I make praying for my city? 
What difference could I make uh, praying for the blessing and the prosperity where there's poverty? Who am I that I would take upon myself to speak to the Lord? A lot of people don't have um, powerful prayer life because they don't think it makes a difference. It's the similar thing like uh, voting. A lot of people don't vote because they say, if you guys knew how many people vote, you'd be offended. You see all these politicians that are coming out, they're leading our nation, they're leading our country. Uh, a gay lesbian in Houston as a mayor, she's making laws against the church. Uh, the school board, we, 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 the leaders that are there are kicking prayer out of school. All, all these things, and, and we don't think we could do much. Now, if the righteous stood up, that's why my friend, uh, the pastor Kenny Luck, wrote a book, The Sleeping Giant. He says, if all the men that are in America would just rise up and stand like Abraham did, we'd have a totally different nation. We're giving, we're giving our nation over to these total twisted leaders that have no integrity, no character, no morals. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. We're going to see this now. Um, so Abraham is struggling there. Let's go to verse 28. Suppose there were five less than 50. So there's 45. So he said, if I find the 45, I will not destroy it, the Lord says. Verse 29. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found. So he said, okay, if you find 40, I won't destroy the city. I don't know about you. I would like Abraham to represent me. He's not going to quit. He's not going to throw in the towel. He's not going to turn around and give up. Uh, this Monday, we, we read with the men that uh, Elijah was dying, and he told one of the warriors, um, if you take this arrow and hit it on the ground, God's going to give you victory. And he was like, okay. He did it three times. And, and the prophet got mad and says, why are you so lame? Why is your passion so God wants to give you these great things, and you're being super slow about them. And so he, he's, he's insistent. Abraham, verse 30. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. Don't, don't get frustrated with me. You know, when you're trying to get somebody to, to slow down from what, doing something wrong, and you're like, don't take it out on me, but just listen to me one more time. I, I want an opportunity to speak again. Suppose there's not 50 or 45 or 40. How about 30? And he says, okay. If uh, I will not destroy that town if I find 30 there. Verse 31. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I've, 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 I've gone to the length to stand as an intercessor. Suppose there were 20 be found here. So I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Verse 32. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry with me. I will speak once again. Suppose there was 10. This guy continues. I, I want to say something. You're not going to get an intercessor to give up. They're not going to give up. They're like, oh, come on, Lord. You got to, come on, Lord. You're on this one. You're on this one. We're going to see it through. We're gonna. And they're not giving up. It's a spirit of intercession. It's a blessing. And he will say, okay, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Verse 33. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. 
when I think about this episode of Abraham trying to get the Lord to stop, a lot of us are stuck uh, only in an intercessory life with our personal family and, and loved ones, and it doesn't go beyond that. But let's go to Job chapter 1, verse 5. I want to go here because this is, this is what um, Job is all about in this regard. He's standing, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning, and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job says, listen to what he says. This was the, the content of his life. It may be that my sons have done something wrong and sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He would come out in the morning, early in the morning, and he would pray for all his children and offer a sacrifice and say, Lord, he was interceding for his children. Don't bring upon them their actions, their comments, what they did. Um, one of the things that scares me the most of this is the last part of this verse, that he did this regularly. So it makes me think that Job's sons were really off course. He was often going before God saying, Lord, it might be that my sons have sinned and cursed you in their hearts. Don't, don't take that against them. So you'll see in one aspect of this book of Job, that the entire course of this man, because soon he loses his children, his possessions, his health. He's losing all things, and the Lord is still requiring of him not to lose sight. And it's very difficult. Instead of in the midst of this big loss, for him to give up and quit, we're going to see in Job chapter 42... And we could say it there in uh, verse 8. This is what God knew about this man in the middle of all his attacks. In the middle of all his setbacks and adversity. It says, now therefore, he tells the three friends, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up yourselves a burnt offering, and have my servant Job pray for you. God was so angry with these three men because in the moment of Job's fall or disaster or situation, they ran over to him. Instead of praying for him, they said, you must have done something bad. Man, God's upset with you. Boy, you messed up. That, that is a non-intercessory spirit. Uh, all his friends throughout the whole book. And God was getting angry and he was about to lay it loose on these guys. How are they talking about Job in a way that's not my heart? They're not interceding. They're not praying. So then at the end, when God is going to show the integrity of Job, he tells the three guys, you guys get ready to uh, bring a sacrifice offering and you pray, let Job pray for you. For if he prays for you, listen to the words that God says, I will accept him. When he speaks on your behalf, I'm going to listen to his prayer. He says, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your foolishness. 
because you have not spoken on my behalf what is right concerning my servant Job. These guys are, they spend the whole book giving long discourses. Well, you must have done something wrong, Job, because God is fair. And if what's going on in your life is twisted, then God is probably angry with you. So at the end, God says, look, I'm angry with you guys. And if he doesn't intercede for you, I'm knocking your heads off because you haven't represented me. So what happens next? Verse 10, uh, verse 9. So they arose, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bilidad, the Shunite, and Sophar, the Namite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job. The Lord is looking for one man willing to pray in one situation for God not to bring his judgment. What is our heart when we're not right with God? Get him, God. Get him good. Just let him have it. Maybe he'll learn this time. That's not the heart of God. God is a heart of compassion, of mercy, of grace. He's extending his loving kindness continually. And he has a whole choir of um, bloodthirsty scavengers waiting for God to unleash all that people deserve. No. No. God wants to see a man like Job. Verse 10, this is, this is the, 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 the blessings of an intercessor. When Job had interceded for his friend, the Lord restored Job's losses. And indeed, Job had twice as much as before. In an intercessor's life, the promises and the refreshings of God are upon them. Uh, in a manner that is, is glorious. This, this whole thing is God's nature. One of the examples we have here is Jesus Christ in Hebrews 7.25. You know what Jesus is doing right now before the throne of God? He's interceding for you. Isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. What, what is the present state of our Savior that is so glorious. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God because through him, since because he always lives to make intercession for them. He's at the right hand of the Father, always speaking on your behalf. What's the devil doing? He's before the throne of God, always accusing. Whose team are you on? Oops. We gotta get another jersey. We got to swap jerseys. We got to get on God's side and start learning how to. Now, let me tell you something. Intercessory prayer is for mature spiritual Christians, not for babies. Not for somebody easily offended. Somebody that, who's, who's waiting for the opportunity. Come on. Let him say one word that I could get offended and then I could hold them against it. And then you're going to see how I'm going to treat. I'm going to pray about them. I hope God gets them. I hope it's. All this stuff is happening. But here Jesus lives to make intercession. He's our example. Romans 8, 34. Oh, well, some of us walked in here this uh, afternoon not even knowing what this was. I thank God that you came to church. I, came, I thank God that you're stepping into another dimension of your walk with God. Who is it that condemns? It is Christ who died. 
and further he has risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. He's the one now like Abraham and like Job saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, you're not one to bring judgment. You're not one to uh, do things outside of your character. He lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of God. That's Jesus Christ. He takes, he takes um, you know, I, I don't know what it would happen if he had not lived his whole life in this course. I, I want to find early on in Jesus' life how he is developing his intercessory prayer when he tells his, his, his disciples how they ought to pray. And let's go there real quickly. In Matthew 6, verse 9, he says, this, then, this is then how you ought to pray. In this manner, therefore, pray. You speak to the Father. You say how great he is. Hallowed be thy name. And then there's three aspects here. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us. He's not saying give me. Who's he praying for? Everyone. He's teaching his disciples to pray for everyone. To not be, uh, you know, singled out. One of the, one of the things that I, is, is really, it's bothersome to me. Sometimes we sing spiritual songs up here. And we say, Lord, bless me and give me and I want. And the people come to church and it's all a one-way thing. And Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12. Forgive us our trespasses. Give us, forgive us as we forgive debtors. Verse 13. Do not lead us. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. All intercessory, uh, what's called utterance. Include more people in your prayer. Include more people in, in your in your sphere, in your circle. Don't be selfish. God doesn't like that. So here he's giving us to our Father. And then uh, on the cross, you guys know what, what he did on the cross. How many? Let's not go to the cross yet. Let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. He says, Father, um, all these that you've given us. He, a whole chapter of intercessory prayer. Those men that you gave me out of this world. And he, he lifts up a prayer, not for himself. Verse uh, John 17, 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you've given me that they may be one as we are one. He's, he's raising up a, an intercession prayer. Uh, verse 20, he says, I do not pray for those disciples alone, those that follow you, but also for those that will come later on and believe in me through their word. When they see other Christians, these will come. And they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. That they may all be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. It continues on to 
to pray on, uh, on the cross. These are the words of the Lord on the cross in Luke 23, 34. He's not in there saying, Lord, cook their goose. Let them burn in hell. Look what they're doing to me. He says, no. 20, Luke 23, 34. 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they were sitting there dividing his garments and casting their lots. In all these examples of intercessory prayer, there's nothing greater than Exodus 32, 32. In Exodus 32, 32, the Lord, let's go to 31. The Lord is fed up with Israel coming out of Egypt. And he says, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a gold, a God of gold, verse 32. And he comes out and says, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, take me out of your book, which you have written. If you're not going to answer my prayer, I'd rather not live. He, he has so vested the interest of someone else and Speaking on their behalf, he's standing before God and the person that God is really... Look, look what verse 10 says. Exodus 32, 10. God promises Moses, I'm going to make you. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them and we'll start all over. We'll make you the pastor. We'll make you a great nation, Moses. You don't even have to put up with what they're doing that's wrong. And in verse 32, he says, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out also. When you're an intercessor, you're speaking on behalf of those you're praying for like if it was you yourself. In Romans 9, verse 1, Paul says like this, he says, I wish that I would be lost. I tell you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in, with me in the Holy Spirit. Verse 2. This is Paul. He was an intercessor and said these words. Verse 2. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Something really, really is weighing heavy in my heart. Verse 3. I have great sadness and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were lost as accursed from Christ, that my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoptions, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promise, I would be lost that they would be saved. How, that, that is a level of Christianity I want to be a part of. You don't want to why? Why? Because that's what God is looking for. God is looking for our, yeah, we already got saved. We already came to the cross. God already forgave us. He's already blessed us. We have our families back. They're intact. Our finances are doing good. But, but how about the rest of the people that are on this God green earth that, that are about to be thrown in the hell and we are super indifferent to it? We want another house. We want another car. We want another vacation opportunity. And our speaking on behalf of the lost is zero. 
Is there's no. And so you know what's going on right there is that Jesus is asking a question. Why are my people not like me? If I'm interceding day and night for, on behalf of my people, my people with my spirit have to be in the same. They have to be moving in the same. Let's go to Exodus chapter 22, verse 30. The Lord was looking for one man. Now it can't. No, it's not. It's Ezekiel. I'm sorry. Ezekiel 22, 30. God, in the midst of seeing a lot of things, Ezekiel, come on, guys. Help me out. 22, 30. There it is. I sought for a man amongst all of them to stand, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me. On behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. There's no one willing to stand there and say, Lord, don't, that's not what you want to do. You want to bless. You want to prosper. Your heart is to multiply, to increase. He says, I'm looking for someone, one person willing to stand so that I would not destroy it. What caliber and character of a Christian are you in that regards? Um, what was God looking at that he wanted to destroy the land? Verse 29, he says he was looking at everything out of place. The people of the land have committed oppressions. They've committed robbery. They mistreated the poor. They mistreated the needy. They wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Everything was upside down. And so what is God looking for? Somebody to hand them some more ammunition, some grenades. Okay, God, yeah. And look, I got a little bit more evidence of what they're doing wrong. He says, no, I want somebody to stand there and to stop me. Somebody willing to have that, that heart. That was the, the heart of Christ. That was the heart of Paul when he says, I, I wish that I would perish, that the Israelites would be saved. There's a man in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 in the New Testament. We have a an example of an intercessor. And this man, uh, his name was, Ep it's a, a difficult name, Colossians 4.12, Epaphras. We'll see it. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, who greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. How many want an intercessor? Lord, give him, come on, give him victory, Lord. You got, got, bless him, Lord. Keep him, Lord. Keep the angels around him. Let the blood of Jesus be on top of him. Give him the victory in his family. Give him the victory in his job. Give him a, a promotion. Lord, keep him. Let him be your servant. Let him not go. Laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Does that sound like an intercessor? That's an intercessor. That you might be the greatest you in Christ that exists. How many do we have like rows of, of critics? They could line up. Come on, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna line up all the critics just to tell you all you're not. Hear this man. Uh, I want to say something about this man. Because Paul never got to go to Colossians. This man, Eph Epaphras, he went over to Ephe Ephesus which was a, a neighboring city. And he met with Paul and he says, look, over there in Colossians, 
all this stuff is going on, and we need you to write a letter. And we need you. And he stood on behalf of that city. Later on, the city would be destroyed. But this man cared so much, he ran over to Ephesus and says, Paul, you got the provisions for these people. Write us a letter. And so Paul writes the letter of the Colossians. And at the end, he says, you guys have an intercessor on your team. And he has, I think, I'm not sure. It says, uh, laboring with great zeal, that, that fervently. Let me read it in the version I have here because you will enjoy it. This guy is one of your best players on the team. It says, yeah, it's verse 13. Next verse. For I bear witness, I, I will be a witness that he has great zeal, not for himself, not for his family, not for his children's. His interest is in the gathering of God's people. He has great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis, he's concerned about perfecting God in all these places. As we're young Christians, it seems to be that the people that come near us want to talk about themselves. They want to either promote themselves, they want to talk about their needs, their accomplishments, and you can tell when somebody becomes a Christian. Then you get, you get out of their needs and accomplishments to, I've been offended and wronged, and they'll give you a list of all the people that hurt them, and, it's, and then you move a little bit more, and you're like, I'm out of the way. It's not about me, myself, and I. It's about now I care that this guy would be a champion, that they would reach the Lord, that they would fulfill the call of God's heart in their lives. Intercessors in spirit. One of those people uh, that stood as an intercessor was Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 he said, Lord, I need to speak to you. Let's go to verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer, supplications, fasting. I set my face towards God. And he's going to sit there and say, I know their sin. I know what they've done wrong. And he identifies. So let's go to verse 5. We have sinned. An intercessor is not going to say, well, you know, you, God, you and I are doing pretty good, but these guys are, no. I'm just as bad as these guys. We have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. We've rebelled, even by departing from what you taught us, your precepts and your judgments. Verse 6. Neither have we heard your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princesses, to our fathers, to all the people of the land. We weren't listening to godly advice. He's not, he's not throwing these people under the bus. He's not saying, I have reason to throw them under the bus. He, he doesn't have specific details. He doesn't have, he's saying, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to stand in the gap. This is, this is a life of faith now. I could throw rocks. I could sit there and, and say, you should have, you would have, you could have. But I'm going to set my face towards God. 
to speak on behalf of others. Verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. Remember who you are. But to us is shame of face. We're only doing what, what we've been, uh, what, what is our nature. As it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those near and those far in all the countries for which you have driven them because of unfaithfulness which they've committed against you. They're walking in the same way they've always walked. Verse 8. I bring this before you, God. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, princesses, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy, forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Bringing back to memory who God is on behalf of the people that are not living like they should. That's intercessory. That's intercessory prayer. That saves a nation. That rescues a people. That pulls us out of the pit. Let's go to the next verse, 10. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His ways which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Verse 11. Yes, all of Israel has done wrong according to your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned. Verse 12. And he has confirmed his word which he spoke against us and against our judges who judge us by bringing upon us a great disaster under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done in Jerusalem. Verse 13. As it is written in the law, all this disaster has come upon us and yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord God and our God that we might turn from iniquity and understand your truth. Verse 14. Therefore, Lord... The Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he has done, though we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Um, one of the things that, that Moses does over there in, in Exodus 32:33, he says, Lord, we don't have the reputation that's going down the toilet. This is your name, and you can't allow it. Your name is powerful. Your name is mighty. You're the one that told uh, the Egyptians. Look what it says there, Exodus 32, 33. And said to Moses, who has sinned against me, and I will blot him out of the book. Verse uh, 34. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, uh, when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them. Let's go to 32 again. He continues to say, I will, if you forgive their sins, but if not, I pray that you blot me out of the book which you have written. I want to get to this part where, where Moses tells the Lord, Lord, your name is on this bill it's not it's not this is not a personal matter let's go here real quick yeah there it is verse 11 Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said Lord why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great 
and mighty hand. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak and say he has brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Why should the Egyptians speak evil? This is, this is saying um, when, we, when we have intercession that the name of Jesus is what's on our life. What's, what's working in the life of your husband is not anything, it's not circumstance. Your wife is Jesus. And he says, Lord, don't give up. Don't throw the towel. Remember your name before all these people that are waiting to see your glory. The motivation for an intercessor is the glory of God. It's not a personal interest. And that's why uh, Moses is speaking in that regards. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Intercessory prayer. Paul is writing these words. He says, um, I exhort first of all that your prayers, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. I exhort first that all supplications, prayer, look at the word right there, intercessions. And, and giving of thanks be made for how many men? For all men. Verse 2. For kings. A whole bunch of people want to tell Obama a hundred things. What Obama needs is an intercessor. What this nation needs is a man that will stand before God and say, God, bring your hand into this place. All who are in authority. If somebody's in your life as a leader and something occurs, God is looking for an intercessor. Not for further destruction. That we may lead a quiet, peaceful, prosperous life in godliness and reverence. Verse 3, why? Paul says, because this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God. Imagine if there was no intercessors, my friends. And in the Cuban culture, doesn't exist. In the Latino culture, doesn't exist. It needs to be the spirit culture. The spirit culture we see here in Romans 8.26. He says, in the same way the spirit helps us when we're going through difficult times. Who helps us? The Spirit. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes what? Intercession. The Spirit of God in, in Abraham led him to care for a city that was full of wickedness. Intercession allows us to be able to get on the same team with God, to hold His righteousness. It says, that we should pray as we ought, for the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How many have ever attempted to pray in the flesh? Try to care about something when you're letting your flesh take the driver's seat. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, Samuel says that if I don't speak on your behalf in prayer, if I don't stand and pray, sometimes a year, sometimes five years, sometimes 10, sometimes 30, Lord, don't flush them down the toilet yet. Lord, don't bring upon him what he deserves. Are we going to go to that verse, 1 Samuel 12, verse 23? Where Samuel says, But as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and stop praying for you. 
Instead, I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to teach you the right way. I'm going to teach you what is good. This is what God's people represents, a people of intercession. I want to share one more verse. Isaiah 59. Verse 14. Justice has turned back. Righteousness is no longer present. Truth has fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. The kingdom of God cannot come. It cannot appear. Verse 15. Because it cannot appear, truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So truth fails. Then the Lord saw it and was displeased. What is going on in the midst of the mix? In the midst of the mix, when everything is upside down and going crazy, the Lord is displeased, not because of the craziness that's going on, but verse 16, because he saw there was no man and wondered why there was no intercessor. When things are mixed up and going crazy, the issue is not that it's crazy and mixed up and twisted. There's no one standing in the gap. There's no one. Listen, you guys saw the systematic 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, wouldn't, relentless, wouldn't give up. That's genuine faith. The Lord looking and it was displeasing because he didn't see an intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation for him and his own right Righteousness sustained it. I think that as we grow in the Lord, more and more opportunities are going to be present for us to make a difference. For more and more of us to be able to, to say, I'm not going to sit where the devil wants me to sit. I'm going to sit where God wants me to sit. I'm going to, I'm going to perfect my intercession Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, when he saw the destruction on Jerusalem and he heard about how twisted everything was going and how awful it was, we call this the prophets of doom. They're like, oh, things are messed up. Oh, things are terrible. And you know what he told me? And then I told him, and then I tell him. And then he says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I fasted and I prayed before God. In verse 5, he says, now I'm ready to stand in the gap. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, you who are great and awesome, you who keep your covenants of mercy with those you love and observe your commandments. Verse 6, he's standing as, as an intercessor. Nehemiah, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open and that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, standing in the gap day and night, night and day, day and night for the children of Israel. Remember, they're your servants. And confess, I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we, we have sinned against you. For my father's house and I have sinned. Standing in the gap is making you put yourself part of the problem, right? Not standing above and, and being distant and disconnected. And... There's just going to be great reward in the coming days for those of us that are going to deepen our pursuit for God 
and, and stand in the gap. You want to stand with me uh, tonight and say, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you that I don't have to be part of the critics. I don't have to be part of the experts. I don't have to be part, distance myself and say, look, look what they've done. I want to be in the mix and I want to see God's glory in my life, in my father's life, in my family's life, in my church. In, in the, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of people throughout the years that have come through here. We would gather close to 5,000 people that when they saw something, instead of standing in the gap and becoming an intercessor, they became a critic and they criticized themselves out of the kingdom. And so, go ahead, guys, come on up. Um, ask God to change your heart. What, what, what Abraham was doing, he knew that in that city there was a lot of people doing a lot of things that were not to par and that did deserve destruction. But he stood there and, and God was able to intervene and, and rescue those that were living there that maybe shouldn't have been living there. But he was doing what was precious in the sight of the Lord. And I encourage you that if somebody comes up to you with some bitter pill or some toxic situation, you, you say this is a great opportunity for us to pray. This is a great opportunity for us to see God's hand and not the devil's. There's a great opportunity to see the glory of God and not the self-righteousness of man. So let's uh, bow our heads and, and say, Lord, make me a person that is aside from my self-interest and I will prioritize and pursue the interests of those that need my prayer. They're not doing what's right. In fact, they're doing what's wicked. And Jesus' posture on the throne to live forever to make intercession for us. He doesn't throw the towel. He doesn't give up. He doesn't say weaknesses and challenges and pushes it over the mountain or under the bus. But he stands in front and says no. Same thing with Job and his friends. When he had prayed from his friends, the Lord heard his prayer, delivered them, and then brought Job into a double portion. Greater prosperity, greater blessing. And God wants to see us in that light also. This is um, probably the most difficult. That's why I said I had challenges tonight with this whole chapter. In Job chapter 6, verse 14. It talks about people that have thrown the towel and have given up on God. But that they should, in Christ's character, have someone. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. There's a lot of confusion in the immaturity of Christians to say, well, if Sodom and Gomorrah is down there, I have to go and be in the midst of that wickedness. That's not what I'm talking about. You're not to go and be part of the wickedness saying, well, pastor told me I had to be a friend of those who forsake the Lord. No. I say, go into your closet and pray for them 
to come out and to return and to come back, not for you to be a part of their mess. It's really, really important that we not confuse matters. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of God. And I live my life constantly for these 5,000 people who have left this place praying not that God would burn them and kill them and eat their children, but that they would return to become world changers. That they would come back and be stronger than before they were here, before they left. So uh, in those situations, that's what we're talking about tonight. And Romans 8.34 continues to tell us how we're to proceed in that regard. We read that tonight, right? Very important. That God is not one who is on the side of bringing his wrath towards man, but he brought his son to die. And he raised him up, and he put him in a strategic, strong position. And he's become the captain and the commander and the chief of all intercessors. He's there at the right hand of the Father, crying out for man in, in the midst of their desperate wickedness. And so I pray that we walk in that spirit. Raise your hands to the heavens. Father, fill us with your spirit, your Holy Spirit, that gives us the ability to intercede because the spirit of intercession, O oh God, is able to change a nation. And we pray, O oh God, and thank you for the intercessors in our church. We give you thanks for men and women who stand in the gap and call upon God so that he could renew his mercies towards us and refresh us with repentance and reconciliation. Father, we pray that you give us the tongue of the disciple and the ears of disciples to hear your voice day after day, to speak words of wisdom we've learned tonight, and that we would grow to be strong intercessors as we intercede for our church, for our families, for our city, for the body of Christ, for the leaders of the church, for the men all over the world that are desiring to stand up to be strong men in, as a husband, as a father, setting their families straight. And we thank you for the life and example of Abraham who was able to show us the intensity and tenacity of praying for those that deserve the judgment of God. Praying for those that were living contrary in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Give us that wisdom, Lord, to stand up and speak on the behalf of others according to your heart, mercies, and compassion. In Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God say amen.